Hello and welcome to the Anxiety to Confidence podcast. I'm Siobhan Booth and I am your host. This podcast is for anyone with an interest in mental health, overcoming anxiety and building confidence. Welcome to this week's episode. Um, I have another guest with me this week. I have Amy, who is my dressage instructor, but not just mine, obviously, your dressage instructor for lots of other people. So just to put you on the spot, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I am a dressage rider and coach uh, based in Andover, Hampshire, but I travel around regularly to Shropshire, Worcestershire and Dorset. I've been doing it probably for about 15 years now, (laughs) since my parents would allow me to start doing it. Um, And I have a particular passion in helping people on their journey uh, and inspiring them to believe that they can actually achieve their goals. So one of the things that I really got you on to talk about this week was a Facebook post that I saw from you, um, which was talking about how competence relates to confidence. Now, obviously, a big part of my work is taking people who are struggling with anxiety and bringing them to a point of confidence. Um, but we know ourselves how that also applies to horse riders as well. Yeah, definitely. So what would you say confidence is to you? I mean, in my job, it probably is developing a belief. It's in that two areas of a belief in their physical ability to be able to do something. So, for example, an exercise or a movement, they might have a dressage test. Um, and it's also the a belief in their ability to control their emotions or deal with a particular situation. So a lot of what um, I have people come back to me is that they, you know, they might train really well, um, but they have a problem when they go to a competition or when they have to ride a test or jump a course of jumps. It's not necessarily the technical as- aspect of it, but it's the mental and tactical skills that they struggle with on the day. Yeah, so I mean this relates massively to all kinds of different people as well. So I often work with people who struggle with public speaking. Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing, like we talk every day. Literally. But as soon as you're in front of 50 people and you have to talk about something, suddenly we get scared, we get sweaty, we feel horrible. Um, and it's the same with competition, I yeah. guess. So I also compete at very low level dressage. I'm at the beginning of my <laughs> <laughs> future dressage prospects. But there is that little bit of pressure, even at the lower levels, really, mm. when you're first starting out, that you know, you're here to perform and you have yeah. to do your best in that situation. Yeah, I think people, they get a little bit worried about the judge because actually in that situation, you are, you are being judged by somebody. Um, and also, I think they also worry a lot about external factors. So people watching, uh, people, you know, other riders being intimidated by other riders. Um, maybe trainers that are already on the side, friends and family, um, and you know, even low level, particularly for people that, you know, if this is their first competition, this is really important to them. Um, and there's a lot of pressure they put on themselves as well, which can create that sort of actually doubt and knock their confidence and belief in their ability to be able to do something which they might actually be able to do perfectly well at home. And that's when it sort of really shows. And it's fascinating as well because it's not just horse riders that feel this. I get people who have got new jobs yeah. and suddenly they don't feel like they can cope in that situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. fully qualified, perfectly capable. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously the whether or not you can actually do the thing is a big part of confidence. Mm. Um, but also having some sort of plan when you get yeah. there. Yeah, definitely. So something I work, I'm, I'm actually I've developed this over, over the years. Um, and it actually started out, I had a client who um, her, her mum had said, giving me a rundown of exactly what had gone wrong at this competition before I actually got I got to the lesson. Like I just got there and she was like, oh my God, this went wrong and this went wrong and this went wrong. And I was like, wow, okay, great. I'll, I'll go chat to her and, and see what she says. And I very much was like, okay, well, this is really unlike this girl. Like she's really, she's really chilled normally and on it, like really focused. So I thought, I'm actually just going to ask her what happened. And the story was completely different. <laughs> completely different. But it, it just goes to show how different people perceive different situations. Yeah. So actually the mother had perceived that the girl um, was being lazy, was showing off to her friends, um, and actually wasn't focused at all. And the girl actually said she started her warm-up 
and something had gone wrong and she wasn't quite sure how to deal with it and then she realised she didn't have a, her spurs with her and that was fairly influential to her, she thought, to be able to do something. So she sent her mum to go and get her spurs. Her mum didn't come back in time. She was just about to go in for the test. So you can imagine the pressure that that had then put yeah. on her because she hadn't had the plan that she actually, you know, it hadn't gone to plan before she went in. Um, and then actually ended up doing a, a mediocre performance for her. Yeah. Other people might not have thought that, and as you could see, her, her mum had always said, like, oh my God, that was terrible. And she was like, it, it wasn't great, but I know why it had happened. Um, so actually in that situation, I said, that's fine. Let's put in a plan in place that we can go, actually, okay, this has happened, but we can learn from this. And, you know, what got us to that point? What do we need to do to stop that happening again? Um, so we developed a warm-up plan. Um, and it started out just as being a three-word checklist. And we mm -hmm. said, okay, and, and I always ask people, I say, what are your three most important things before you go into a test? And, you know, it can be anything from technical words to completely specific words to them. So, you know, I've had a lot of rhythm and suppleness or adjustability. Some people just like the word flow. You, you know, which is totally fine because that's really, and this is the important thing, no people, no one person will be the same as another person. Yeah. So it is very unlikely that everybody will have the same three words. Um, and it's important that those people know what those three words mean to them. Yeah. Um, so if they've given me flow, I want to know what that means, what it feels like, so that we're really clear what we're aiming for. And they actually become mini goals. Yeah. And we devise a plan in three parts, um, depending on the time they've given me that they want to warm up for, actually of what they what works in their training, what could they apply there to get that, um, and actually then what is the most important bit about this is it's adjustable. The chances are after we've written out this plan, they might look at it again, but they probably won't remember it. <laughs> so we use the three words as trigger words. So yeah, if I, what my biggest question to them is always to say, you know, what what do you need now? Out of your three words, which one is it yeah. that actually is, are you missing or do you need a bit more of? And yeah, for example, they might say rhythm. And I go, okay, so what do we normally do in training that helps that? that? And they're mm -hmm. like, okay, right, yeah, actually, I do know this. And it triggers a thought process, a familiar thought process that they've used before. Um, and then it gives them the confidence that they can go away and work on that instead of panicking that they haven't got it. Um, and I actually get them, when we get really good at this, <laughs> I actually get them to ride a test, um, which is, um, it works a lot on external pressures, thinking of lots of different things at the same time, but also the ability, and I guess it, it's being that unconsciously competent yeah um so i get them to ride their test and as they are riding their test they say those three words as they are working on them they're not allowed to say any other words so for example they might make the turn down the center line they might be like rhythm straightness rhythm and it doesn't matter how many times they repeat that it what they're giving me is an external thought process so what they are thinking is no they're what they are saying and yes they can't do that on the day but if they have the confidence to do that, I know they're ready to go. They're they fine. The confidence behind them. To Absolutely. And the confidence and their ability to do it. Yeah. They're now not riding the test. They're now riding the mini processes that actually help make the outcome, which is the test. And that, for me, is when I know a rider's ready to, you know, particularly, and I put that more into my, so I, I work in sort of three levels with the training to learn, training to compete, and then training to win. Mm -hmm. those guys that can do that are training to win because they're nailing it and it's a really hard skill yeah. <laughs> um, but for me I then know that they are they can completely independently think on their own and you know they take responsibility for their training um, which like you know I said earlier I can't be at every show but I absolutely can give them the tools to in their toolbox that they can draw upon when they need it and it's just putting those thought processes in place. Yeah, absolutely. So changing the way people think is obviously a huge part of what I do as well, mm. in terms of getting them to practice tactics for when they end up in situations that are going to cause anxiety. Yeah. Uh, so for people listening who haven't come across the term consciously competent before, um, the way we learn things is we, first of all, we don't know that we don't know something, so we're unconsciously incompetent. 
we then become aware that we can't do something very well, so we become consciously incompetent, and then we learn how to do it. But we still have to think about the fact that we're having to do it, so we're then consciously competent. And this is a really good stage. This mm. is a stage where we can build a lot of confidence because we can think about it, we can think it through, we can make sure we're learning it correctly. And what we hope eventually <laughs> is that we become <laughs> unconsciously competent, which is when we've built a good habit. Yeah. Definitely, and that, that for me is always what we're working towards. But yeah. like you say, we have to go through that consciously competent stage yeah. where somebody can do something, but they're still in that, they are consciously thinking about it and how they're going to do it. Um, and for me, this is where riders actually um, at competitions need to be braver and go, right, today I am training. Even though I'm at a competition, I am training for the next competition. Mm -hmm. So you are practicing under pressure. Yeah. And I think this is probably where all of this came from, actually, is, is to make sure, because that girl that I was talking about earlier, that was a team selection day. So it was actually quite important to her and to her mum. And I think it was, it, it is important that under pressure, we can draw upon the things that we actually already know and that we don't necessarily need to try anything new. You already know all the answers. It's all in there, but you just got to draw upon the right ones. Yeah, perfect. So it's the same really with anxiety. First of all, people don't realise that they necessarily have anxiety. They just have all these negative feelings that they don't know what to do with. And over time, we hope to teach them how to become more aware of it, uh, do something about it, control it in the time. And eventually, we hope that becomes a habit. But certainly things like public speaking and things, it's the same kind of thing. You can't yeah. go into a talk and then suddenly decide that you're going to be a completely different kind of person or talk about something completely that you don't know about. It has to be based on stuff you already know how to do. Yeah, absolutely. That, and I think that is exactly it, is training these tactical skills. And, we, and this is probably in the whole of the equestrian industries that we're really good at training the technical skills mm -hmm. um, because the fundamentals are really important. You know, if you don't have the fundamentals, you can't actually do the stuff that are in the tests or, you know, jump, you should course the show jumps or whatever. Um, however... I think the tactical skills, and these days it's coming more around, but it, it's actually really important. The tactical and the mental skills massively influence how well you can execute your technical skills. Yeah. Um, and, and that I think the more we need to practice more under pressure and, and, and do things actually to a time like you have to in your warm-up and, and, and do things under pressure with people watching you and practice it when it doesn't actually matter. But at the same time, there's that little element that it does. Yeah, it matters to you because you don't want to look yeah. stupid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is a fundamental thing that most of us <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk a bit about goal setting, um, because one of the big parts of overcoming anxiety and building confidence is helping people to work towards something that they're going to feel really proud about. Yeah. So what's your approach to goal setting? Um, so I am a massive fan of goal setting <laughs> anybody that knows me is like oh my god not another goal are you mad <laughs> um but it is it's something i do in my daily life in yeah. my work life with my with my own horses um and i and the reason i'm passionate about it is because you massively see a benefit from it and you know when i work with clients i will nearly always ask them what's your goal for today and and you know they're getting better but most people will nearly always try the easy answer and go well i don't know <laughs> um, but actually it's really important that you know you guys as the riders take responsibility for your training because I only see you like you know one day a week if, if I'm lucky sometimes it's once a month yeah. um, and I'm there to give you, some, you know, the information and help you and guide you but I can't be there the rest of the time um, and for me value for money is giving people things that they can draw upon when the, the, the coach or the instructor isn't there yes. um, you know otherwise it's kind of pointless for having lessons I, I think agree. Um, and that's something that I'm really passionate about. So I, that's why I get people to set goals. Um, so I do get people to set session goals. And one of the things actually, uh, you know, particularly I always say to people at the beginning of the year or beginning of the season, you know, what's your big goal this year? What are you aiming for? What would you love to do? And, and, and I think it's important, that wording of what would you love to do? Yes. Because actually it's got to excite them. They've got yeah. to want to do it. Otherwise it's like, yeah, well, I kind of think like I might just want to um, <laughs> have a go at this. Yeah. And like, no, you, you want to, you want to do it or do you not? Um, and if it doesn't, then can we find something else that's more suitable? And I think there actually is the start of something. They give you a glimpse of what they might <laughs> possibly want to aim for. Um, 
And it might just be a conversation in that if it's just if it's a ridden session. It might be a conversation of they might say, look, I really want to do this. I want to step up this level this year, um, but I'm not there yet. And that's when we start to break down and go, okay, how do we get to that point? What do we need to do in the training? What steps do we need to put in to actually work back from that? and get to that level and a lot of it might be the technical skills yeah their goal for example might be to do a a certain level of test confidently in which case that's more the tactical skills they might already be doing that level yeah you know so the technical is there but you know each time they go out they're terrified so then we're working on the confidence rather that you're in that situation rather than the technical it might be that they want to step up a level and you know they just want to do they just want to do that they're not that fast you know the score or anything which is fine you know that's great um but it gives us a starting point um and i also work with people on unmounted sessions uh, and i'm really really keen on these it's a newer thing that i've actually now integrated with my block booking so if people buy a block of lessons they now get an unmounted session free because i really think it makes a big difference and for me if you're investing into that system you you have to have it all <laughs> you know six lessons is great but i feel like you can actually get a massive benefit from the amount of session and sitting down it just in a really informal way and doing a bit of goal setting making a plan for the year and what we tend to do is do a bit of a goal setting tree so again i might say you know, what's your ultimate goal what are you planning to do um and then we work back from it we might chunk up or chunk down from where we are. So we might say, okay, we've got to fill the gap between where we, you know, this goal now and the ultimate goal or where you want to be in two months. What do we have to do to get there from now and then from there to the big goal? Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes through all of the little bits right down to the day-to-day things. You know, what do you need to change to make this happen? Yeah. What do we need to do you know, on the... And it's... And it's okay to have a bit of the outcome goals there as well. So it might be, for example, they want to be on a team. So there's a certain criteria they have to meet to get that. So that has to go on there because that's part of it. Yeah. But then we break that down even further to like, okay, well, how do we get those scores? How, what do we need to do to get those scores? We need to get these kind of marks. If we get those kind of marks, we need this kind of consistency or this kind of you know, level of ability. And from my point of view, that's really beneficial because actually now I've got like, right, I've got a training plan that we can stick to here. From their point of view, it actually structures their sessions when I'm not there. They know what they're working towards and actually as they do it, they can tick it off as they feel like they're nailing that bit. And it might be something tiny. It might be like, for example, can I get down the centre line straight? Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds stupid, but everybody can get an eight for that. <laughs> everybody can get away you say everybody I, I'm yet to achieve that but yes <laughs> it's doable it's definitely doable <laughs> um, so I think that I that and, and again that's really important because you start and finish your test with that yeah and it's something like that but then for somebody else it might be like actually I really want my flying changes by the end of the year in which case we have to look at what kind of canter that's got to come from what kind of canter we've got yeah. now and is that realistic um and I think t- time frames are super important in that as well yeah being realistic about it. So I'm a big fan of small steps and lots and yeah. lots of small steps. Bite-sized steps, yeah, definitely. So a lot of my clients do have a big goal, like speaking in public or getting like a particular position that they want. Um, and some of those things can take years to achieve. Yeah. So we need kind of stuff in the meantime that they can still be excited about yeah. and enthusiastic about that are a lot more achievable because then they can build confidence from those small steps. Definitely. Which is kind of what you've been saying, really. Yeah, I think it's important to make it feel like it's possible and as I said at the beginning that's one of, that's what I'm really passionate about is actually getting people to believe or inspiring mm. them to believe that their goals are achievable yeah it is a thing um they can do it it's not just something up in the clouds that may or may not happen one day it is doable but it's working back in those tiny bite-sized goals uh to make sure that you can actually feel like you're progressing and it, it, like I say, it might be as simple as, you know, and I've done this myself, going, particularly coming back, back into, into work now, I've gone, okay, well, I just need them in a consistent exercise regime. You know, they just need to be worked consistently. So I've actually gone down and written down my plans for the month of what, where the horses fit in, what they're going to do. Yeah. And that's tiny. But if I can achieve that week on week, it actually makes a massive difference. 
and you know this is one of my things that I always say to people but you know small changes make big differences yes they do. and if you can do those tiny little things that add up to it even if you don't feel like you're progressing massively towards the ultimate goal if every step you take is forwards it's yeah. okay it's fine and that's particularly helpful if the goal is difficult to achieve or particularly mm. far away from that person yeah because sometimes we can look at big goals and get really demotivated yeah like i've shared with you that my goal is to at some point compete at quite a high level yeah if i was to think about doing that now it's not possible yeah i don't have the riding ability i don't have the, the horse to do it yeah yeah um, so it can be quite demotivating but when you chunk it all down into much smaller goals, you can start to think, well, what can I do now yeah. that will, at some point, benefit me? Yeah, to that, that. and that is exactly it. And I think this is where riders perhaps need to be slightly more open-minded. Mm -hmm. That, you know, that is a great goal to have because it is, it is possible. But there's other factors that come into it. Yeah. And like you say, at this moment in time, you might be like, well, that's a long way away. I'm not sure I'm going to manage that. Actually, there's loads of things you can do. And, you, you know, I think people go on and, and we take, a, we, we ride a lot, but actually, could we go to more demos? Mm -hmm. Could we go and volunteer and be a steward so that we can watch the warm-up all day? Could we go and write for judges? You know, there's lots of things that you can do. One of my things is that actually I, and I, I'm not a fan of this, but I am going to do, make myself do it, is that I want to um, become a judge. And... I'm not a fan of it because I, I really like to just be able to open the door and go, oh my God, I could just help you with this one thing and put my trainer's hat on, but actually I need to not do that. But what it's really good for is that it, I feel that it would offer another level in my coaching um, as much as I am not a fan of, of, do, of doing it. And that's it's not recorded a... now, these guys are listening. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I will do it, I will. And I, I even, I mean, I've been a trainee judge for years. Um, but they're just about to change the system over. So I'm going to wait for that and then I'm going to uh, <laughs> dive a whole gym. And yeah, I have nothing against judges. And in fact, I, I, I think they do an amazing job and I'm not sure that I can replicate it. But uh, it is hard. It's a really hard job. But I think it would give me another, another depth, another string to my bow kind of thing for my teaching. But I, I think actually it's things like that. That's going to help me. That's going to help me see things from a different perspective. And that's going to help my clients. Yeah. And th and actually, that's the reason I'm doing it, not because necessarily uh, I want to be a judge. <laughs> um, but I think you know it's part of part of the process and it's yeah. part of the journey and things like that uh, are really helpful. And you'd be surprised what you can see from a different perspective. And and that would be my main advice. Even if you've got a horse off lane, actually, you know it happens to the best of us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I feel like horses are on and off all the time. And it is a really hard, long journey. Um, no matter how many horses you have or amazing things you do, it, it is entirely possible that quite literally it'll smack you in the face and you've got to start again. <laughs> um, as I found out. And actually, it, but that's fine because everything happens for a reason and you can learn from it. Yeah. And actually, if you're not riding at this time, take the opportunity to go and do something else within the industry you know there's so many fantastic volunteer opportunities you know b b d b s you know go and volunteer go and watch go and see what's happening and actually it probably won't cost you anything because they're all dying for volunteers yeah but you know being a steward you you could watch everything from prelim to grand prix at a local show i mean when do you ever get to do that yeah and actually see all the different riders the good the bad the amazing you know and you would learn so much yeah. and you wouldn't need someone to tell you just by watching people and seeing things and i think that's really important you know there that actually you do even though you don't think you're progressing to your ultimate goal the chances are you probably are yeah um, and there are still things that you can do even if you're not riding or you know that's the unfortunate bit with horses is you yeah. one minute you're there next minute you're not <laughs> and it's the same with a lot of different people not just equestrians mm. a lot of my clients do come across unforeseen circumstances that yeah. stop them achieving the things that they want yeah um so yeah just having that ability to think outside the box and yeah. think okay well i can't do this thing but i can do this which teaches me this which helps me in the future for the thing i want to do anyway yeah absolutely okay. and it, I, th I think that's it is thinking beyond the boundaries and most of the time the boundaries are what we've set yes and, and if it's a riding goal therefore we're like well we must ride to get this <laughs> but actually just taking a step out of those boundaries and going actually no I could do this and that's going to really help and you know it's why I go to I 
try so hard to go to as many CPD things as I can, you know, jumping, dressage, whatever, because to me, I actually learn so much. And, you know, I picked up something from the other day from the eventing forum and, and it was from a Western girl, but it was brilliant. And I was like, God, you know, that is so applicable. I can really use that and really help people with that. Um, and there was that exercise that I got you to do with the triangle. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but it, again, that immediately gets people thinking outside the box and beyond yeah. the boundaries of this is a test or this is this is what we're going to do. So, yeah, no, I think massively do, don't be afraid to think outside the box and don't think that you always need the horse to progress to the ultimate riding goal. So another thing that we've talked about a little bit ourselves um, is the ability to visualise what you want mm. and the importance of having a clear picture of what it is and what it feels like to yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah. when you're trying to get people to make a goal like that, what kind of things are you trying to find out about their goal? So, I mean, for me, their goals are their goals. So whatever they've set is absolutely fine, but they've got to know what they want. Mm -hmm. And if there's bits that they don't know, we need to sort of divulge into that a little bit and find out a little bit more about it and if we don't know enough about it is there something that I can offer in that situation for example if it's the knowledge of how to do something do we need to do some sessions on that so that they really have the the basics and the stepping stones of putting into that but I always ask people when they when they decide they're going to set a goal I'll ask them to create a little bit of a vision and I'll say you know what does this look like if you were to imagine you and your horse doing it what does it look like what does it look like from on top? What does it look like if you're a bystander? Mm -hmm. Also, what does it feel like? And, and I'll get them to break it down. You know, what does it feel like in your hand? What does it feel like for your seat? How do they feel off your leg? And most of the time, it won't necessarily be that they need to give me technical answers or technical words. It's more adjectives, getting them to really describe and paint this picture a little bit for me so that I, I know they actually they have an idea of where they want to go with this and then you know for me if somebody can do that they can definitely achieve this goal you know because they already have this painted in their head and and, and that actually those those guys that have got that and once they've done that it's always just having that there to say okay yeah i, I can do this because i can see it yeah. if you can see it you can achieve it and it's the same you know when we do we talk about goal setting earlier you know if you can see your goals every day mm -hmm. actually you stand a much higher chance of achieving them. And I think this is the same. If, if somebody, every time they get on, takes five minutes, you know, even if it's just a session goal, and they're like, do you know, I really want to work on my transitions today. Ask yourself, what is that, what does a good transition look like? You know, what does it feel like? What am I aiming for here? What, what's this horse going to look like from the sidelines? And although you probably can't see that from on top, it's important to, to have that element of not just your perspective, but what you would see if you were stood from the outside as well. So you get like a 360 degree sort of view of it. Um, then you know what you're aiming for. Yeah, and that's so applicable for people listening that aren't horse riders. I mean, public speaking is an easy example, but you can mm. do exactly the same process. So you can imagine how do you want to feel when you're stood there? What do you want to be talking about? How do you want to look? How do you want members of the audience to be seeing you? Yeah. And it's usually things like confident, knowledgeable, see me as relaxed in control of the situation yeah but yeah. again as long as you can see that yeah. you can see how to behave like that yes so we can teach you to do that <laughs> yeah and that's exactly it that's exactly it and I think if you've got if somebody comes along and they're not sure yeah they're not sure what their vision is that's maybe actually where the unmounted sessions are super useful because we can really go into depth and break it down without having the horse just stood there. Um, but also the horse is useful because we can say, okay, well, you know, you want to try this. This is kind of, let, let's go and do that. And sometimes they'll be like, oh my God, today, like, are you sure? But actually that gives us a baseline. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, it doesn't matter whether they do it well or not. Or yeah, that's irrelevant. What it's done is said, okay, we're not there yet. Or yeah, actually we can do this. We've only got a short term, a short amount of time before we're ready to do that, and it's it's build work it working that out and a bit trial and error and finding from people what they really want and it might be you know internally what they want to feel what they want to gain from this and you you know it might not just be a score or a, you know a particular level it might be that they actually just want the feeling of being confident in an arena yeah and that's fine too. So that leads quite nicely on to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I think it's quite common, particularly now, social media, mm -hmm. um, which I like social media, but it has some possible pitfalls on it, 
is thinking that people achieve things um, kind of in a straight line, that yeah. they just progress, get better, <laughs> and then yes. everything is amazing. So I wanted to have a chat with you a little bit about how difficult progress can be sometimes and yeah. how disheartening it can be, so that people who are maybe listening who are trying to get somewhere but maybe aren't at the moment yeah. can maybe take some comfort that A, that's normal, yeah. B, Definitely. that's educational, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and C, that you will come out of it at some point. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think this is the thing, you know, people with horses, they are, it's so grounding, isn't it? Because one minute you are flying along and then the next minute you're not going anywhere. Uh, and that it, it's quite refreshing. <laughs> However, it, is, it can be really demoralising. And this is the thing, I mean, I guess with any sport, you know, you can get injured and things like that as well. And again, that's another downfall of it. But it, it's easy to watch people and think, oh yeah, that's amazing, they're doing really well. And, you know, but actually everybody has had some really hard times and, and things do go wrong and it takes sometimes years to sort things out or find a way around it or you know it might actually just change completely what you need to do and it, it does take time and it, I think my biggest piece of advice would be just embrace the journey even when it's hard because actually you will come out of it stronger you you will find a way and you know particularly this winter is a perfect example yeah, everywhere I go, everybody's got really fresh horses and they're just like, oh my God, like I can't, I can't ride. And it's not that, and I have exactly the same, trust me. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, it, it, the weather hasn't been helpful or kind to anybody. So this month particularly, everybody's really sort of bit down in the dumps. And actually, it's at those times you just have to keep going because in a month's time, it will be completely different. Um, and we have to, it, you know, horses is a hard slog whether you're doing it, you know, you know, with one horse or ten, it is hard and it's rewarding, super rewarding, but also those things can be taken away in, in seconds, you know, and I think it's important to remember actually everybody's going through this, everybody who might be the man or the girl at the moment, actually two years prior was not, and that's important because that what they've done or where they've come from to get there has probably made them yeah you know the success hasn't made them the hard bits have made them yeah we just find out about them when they become really successful <laughs> exactly exactly that yeah. uh, and I think it's, it's worth bearing in mind uh, and you know I find so Boris my big horse is a perfect example of that I am I, ha I am convinced that one day we will do something great <laughs> I'm not sure what that is yet <laughs> Um, but he has, yeah, he has a lot of issues. And uh, but when he is going, he is fantastic. And I, it always catches me out because I'm like, oh my god, yes, we might actually be able to do something. And then surprise, you can't. <laughs> um, and I do think he he is brilliant to to ground me. And actually, all the time I, I I keep saying to myself, it's fine because he's an animal at the end of the day. And you know what? He's really happy being him. And if we can, if I can get to somewhere where I have trained him to do something, then great. But actually, even to where he is now is, is massive because he was an extraordinarily weak young horse, very, very weak. And as a foal, he was fantastic. And then at two, he just shot up, um, took none of his muscle with him and has probably taken till now to look like an actual normal horse, although huge. Um, <laughs> and it is you have to keep saying to yourself, I mean, even now with him, I've had to stop, take breaks, go again, because he's always been growing. Um, and it's really hard because you think, oh my God, everyone else your age is progressing so quickly. Mm. But if he progressed that quickly, he would break. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the thing is you, you remember you're on your own journey. Yeah. And um, that's so applicable to everything, not just horses. I mean, yeah. Obviously, we know each other because of horses, but even if you run your own business, mm -hmm. uh, trying to bring up a family, like it's so applicable to all of those things. Yeah, there are just really challenging times. Yeah, that absolutely. You have to accept. I can remember coming up and and when I was much younger, and a lot of my friends were on like international teams, and I was never on an international team because I just wasn't there. I wasn't at that stage ever. Um, and maybe I lacked a little bit of the horsepower because I always did all my horses from scratch. Uh, actually, now I look back, none of those people even ride anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because now I'm like, well, actually, 
I love what I'm doing. Yeah. So, and it, 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 that's the important thing, I think, even away from horses. It's just because you're not where somebody else is now doesn't mean you won't be. And actually, your journey has to be different as you just be like everybody else. Yes. And, and I think that's key is you don't want to be the same as everybody else, <laughs> do you, really? And the, I, we sometimes tell ourselves we do, but you don't, do you? Yeah. You want to be different. You actually should stand out. If you want to be successful, you, you want to stand out. And I think that's really important. So, yeah, to sum up, your progress is your own up and down. A completely. Bizarre story. That yeah. <laughs> and embrace it. Let it happen. Because it's going to happen. Actually, the more you fight it, the harder it is. Mm. It's sometimes, it, it's worth going back and reviewing and remembering how far you've actually come. So, we've talked a lot about um, the kind of skills that are needed to perform confidently. Um, we've talked a lot about riders kind of taking responsibility yes. for their progress. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about the mindset around overcoming barriers and issues and things that crop up. How important to you is it that riders have some responsibility? Uh, I'd probably <laughs> say like 95% important. Yeah. It's really important. Like I said, I can't be everywhere and you know, do everything. And, and you know, all coaches are saying you can't be everywhere. It's impossible. And actually... Bigger picture-wise, your coach or your trainer is a minuscule part of your picture, actually, because they're not there day to day, but you and your horse are. And I, I actively encourage my clients actually to use a training journal and actually to help with their session goals as well and to see their progress and take the responsibility if something didn't go right to go, okay, yeah, this, this wasn't that great. And they, they mark whatever they set out as their goal out of 10 and then they reflect on it. And often that process is enough to go, actually, I know what I need to do. Because like I said earlier, most of the things that you need are, are within you. You have got them, but you just need to locate what you need and, and where it is useful. And, you, you know, I actually went to somebody the other day who I said, Look, just try this training journal thing. You know, it might be a bad box. Try it. And the difference in her mindset between, she said two weeks between the lessons, the difference in her mindset between the first lesson and the second lesson was huge. And she came in, she's like, right, I want to work on this. This is what I want to do. This is, you know, how I think we should go about it. Like, Great, let's give it a go. And if it doesn't work, of course, we can change it. But I think this is where, where we as people perhaps need to not be afraid to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. And actually take responsibility. If you take a mistake, great, I made a mistake. No problem. Now what am I going to learn from this and what am I going to do about it? I'm actually a big fan of making mistakes, yeah, personally. me too. I think it's... A very easy way to learn. Yeah, it is. And I think as long as it's in a controlled environment, I mean, you don't want to stretch somebody's comfort zone so much that they make yeah. a massive mistake and they're traumatised for life. <laughs> but at the same time, actually, and I often do this in lessons, and actually we did it a little bit in yours, with the triangle, is yeah. to say, actually, okay, just go and experiment. If you get it wrong, don't worry about it. Let's let's talk about it. Let's decide. And you can tell me whether you think it worked or not. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, it is the rider and the horse in the arena doing it. Nobody yeah. else. And it's you guys as a combination that needs to know what works in that situation. And of course, the coach and the trainer guide and they help. And they, you, you know, that's what they're there for. Uh, but they can't be in the arena with you. And, Sadly. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> but I think it's super important that riders can, can think independently and actually are, are trained to think independently. Mm. Like I said, A, for value for money, so you actually have stuff to do and think about and have the tools to be able to do that by yourself. Um, but also so that when you're in there, in the warm-up or in the test, when you're out there by yourself, a lot of people go to competitions by themselves. It's having that confidence in yourself to go, yeah, I've... I've got this, I've got the tools, I know what to do. And, and the better you get to that, the more confident you'll be at it as well. It's surprisingly um, applicable to therapy, really, because mm. one of the things that I end up saying to clients is that I can't physically get in your head and change the issues yeah. that you've got in there. I can give you exercises, I can teach you techniques to make things easier for you, yeah. but you have to go away and practice those things. Yes. And when we do things like assertiveness training, people kind of have to go away and experiment with it a little Literally, bit. Literally, yeah. And find a way of communicating calmly and confident that fits with them. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like it's really important that people kind of almost are a bit introspective and consider a lot what's best for them, yes. what works for them, yes. what they want to improve, yeah. and how they're going to go about improving that. Absolutely. And you know, I can help and guide on that, but I think it's really important it comes from the rider yeah. because ultimately they're living their dream, not mine. And I, 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 I don't own that. That's They've got to own it. And actually, the more they own it, the more confident they are. 
and the, yeah, this is one of the things, one of the reasons I don't use the headpieces. And uh, you know, they work for a lot of people, but I find people then it I, a they're not as interactive with me, so I can't test as much. You know, stopping somebody and making eye contact and asking them to talk about what they're feeling or what went wrong or how they how they could change that if they wanted something different is different to me asking them whilst they're on the move and focusing on something else. Yeah. And for me, and I'm not saying this this is different for everybody, but for me, I'd much rather not be the voice in their head. Mm-hmm. And people, I've used them before, and funnily enough, everybody who I use them with was like, oh my God, it's like having you in my head. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we've got to stop this. <laughs> I don't want to be there. <laughs> this is enough now. Because the moment somebody gets used to that is the moment that actually they can't cope without you. Yeah. And that's not what I want to do. need to create your own safety net, really. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Cool, okay. So talk us through a little bit more. We mentioned your unmounted session. So this yeah. is quite different. Most dressage riders get to school, <laughs> tell you what you're doing wrong, and then go home. Yeah. Why have you decided to include unmounted? Because I, I think, personally, the mind has a bigger influence as actually being able to ride the horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly in moments of need, so for example, when you're at a show or at a competition, or even when you're out hacking and something goes wrong, yeah. it, you know the mind play plays the biggest part in that actually as to what you're going to do and how you how you're going to get get around this situation. So, I find for more clarity and actually ease, sitting people down in a really chilled out kind of way and saying, okay, well, what do you want to do? And, we, we cover anything in these sessions. It can be goal setting, it can be coping with competition pressures, it can be making warm-up plans, it can be going, okay, well, you know, we've got six sessions, what are we going to do in that? What do you want to be able to do at the end of the six sessions? It can be planning a whole year, it, and, and, and it doesn't matter whether, I'm actually, whether I even coach that person for a whole year, I mean, obviously it helps, but it, it doesn't actually matter and it doesn't bother me that, it, you know, if they want to come and just get some ideas and if bounce a few things off and then go back to their place and that's fine. Um, and this is something I think is, I think it's actually going to help a lot because a lot of the things that I do with people or, and I'm like, God, you know, if, if we could just sit down for an hour, I, I could talk you through this and then put you back on the horse, it'd be so much easier for you because often people need the time to reflect yeah. if you've got the horse in that moment still doing something unless they sound perfectly still not distracting actually the rider's still thinking about what's going on and even then because you're sat on the horse the brain is still receiving messages of the feeling so it's very difficult to say right let's just refocus on this one so for example something like visualization yeah. visualizing the test you know it's great but if, and particularly where it's really useful is when they've ridden something and then I say, okay, now stop, now close your eyes and just let's work back through that again. That's when it's really useful. However, real time visualization, it's not that productive when you've got a horse there going, yeah. oh, hello, we were just moving for 10 minutes and now we're not moving at all. And actually it's really good for just, just going back and focusing on things and work, working out a plan because often I find people when they're on their horses, perhaps aren't as clear with what they want to do or how they want to do it because there's this external factor. You know, you sit down in a casual situation and, and start chatting about it and toing and throwing with a few ideas, suddenly by the end of an hour you've got a plan for the year and they're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I think it's just actually nice for them to, because a lot of people will sit down and do goal setting at home mm-hmm. and they go, yeah, I think I've got this nailed. Uh, and, and yeah, most of the time they have, but what they haven't actually done is gone back and gone right back and thought about the, the tiny factors that they could be doing today to actually to make a step towards that goal. And that, that's the really important bit. I think for me, it actually gives them time away from the horse to think clearly. And then moving forward, it's clarity in their training, clarity in how they're doing everything. It must be a nicer experience for the, the horse as well when they've yeah. got a rider that has a clear... Like this is what I'm going to do today. Definitely, and I find the riders that have that have done the unmounted sessions absolutely know where they want to go, what they want to do, and they are more inclined instead of trying to work on twenty things in one session and go right. I've got to nail it by this Sunday because I'm out. Um, actually, they go right. Do you know this week I'm going to really work on these two things and I'm going to nail them. And then when I go to the competition on Sunday, I'm going to make sure that I can still do those two things when I'm out and about. Mm -hmm. And actually, those things are a much stronger process because you've only focused on two things, but to the best of your ability, than 20 things 
you know, kind of mediocre, and, mm. and and that's it's much better for the horse. You know, they 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 actually feel more confident in themselves. So we talked briefly before about being able to practice in situations that are a little bit more stressful in order yes. to help build up some of the resilience, <laughs> uh, build up some of the the skills and things. So you've actually developed a new clinic yes. that you're going to be running. Yep. So we're going to do this in April. It will be the first one we've done. So last year, it's all really to do with this. I'm really into elements that can help maximise your performance. So last year we did a training to compete clinic which was based on replicating the competition scenario where you would warm up um, with a steward and nobody else was there but it was just me, the steward and you and then you would warm up, do warm up work for your warm up plan on a, in a timed situation and yeah. then you would actually ride your test. Uh, and that worked really well actually, people loved that and there was a lot of benefit from it because it was a controlled situation, there was yeah. pressure but it was controlled. And, you know, for example, one of the things, you know, lovely client of mine, I know she's so damn nice. She And I said to the steward, I said, this lady's coming. She's really, really nice. Can you say to her, the one before has dropped out, can she go in? <laughs> bearing in mind, there is no one else in this arena. But because she was so in the moment, she was so present at that point, she'd warmed up for like 10 minutes. And she had only cantered one way. <laughs> and the steward came over and said, look, I'm really sorry, the one before you dropped out, could you go? And she said, yeah, yeah, of course, no problem. And I looked at her and I was like, um, are you ready to go? She's like, well, um, uh, and I was like, have you, you cantered both ways? She's like, no, no. I was like, so are you ready to go? No, no, I'm not actually. But it's in those situations. Yeah. And that, I, that for me really sticks out because it was a brilliant example of how you know, we, we just instinctively answer something without actually thinking about it. And you paid your entry fee and you, you are entitled to as much of your warm-up as everybody else there. And just yeah. because somebody else has dropped out doesn't mean that you have to cut your warm-up short and effectively affect your performance because of that. And, yeah, that lady, had she done that, she'd done cancer one way, she wasn't prepared to go. So actually it wouldn't have been as good a performance as she could. So this year we're looking at this a, a different way. And things that keep coming up actually with people is dealing with and I think maybe it's more so because competitions are becoming more and more busy mm -hmm. dealing with the pressures of a warm-up and we've all been there there's always somebody who's got a naughty horse or somebody yeah. who's forgot the test or somebody who's forgot the rules of the school or <laughs> you know there's lots and lots of things so we've called it a warm-up clinic but basically it's two it's going to be in groups of three with me uh, for an hour, but reality is we won't be, nobody warms up for an hour normally. There's going to be a lot of talking and reflecting and, and going and experimenting and trying stuff, like we said earlier, you know, going and making a mistake and going, okay, that didn't work, why don't we try this? And the benefit of this is actually you've got a coach here with you to go, okay, well, there's three people in here, you guys are responsible for moving yourselves around as you would normally at a competition. Do your normal competition plan and I'm going to put them to a time, so I'll say, for example, you know, you're riding at this time, you're five minutes later, you're five minutes later. And although we may not stick to those times, we're going to work our best to it. And that element of a time pressure added with other people to manoeuvre around, hopefully will put people under enough pressure to start doing things that they would normally do at a competition. Yeah. You know, the kind of mistakes that they might make under pressure. And then that's where I come in. So that's where I can then say, okay, you know, what's going on here, how can we manage this, is there, is there some different strategies that we could put in, and it might be as simple as somebody just needs to take a five minute rest and you know, practice their breathing exercises, or actually the horse is really fresh so they should probably stay on the circle, and if there's people that come into that circle, just make the circle a metre smaller, you know, or have, have a plan or a shape that you know works for you, but I think it's important, so we're going to work a little bit on developing a warm-up plan mm -hmm. that, or adjusting their warm-up plans to help them, but also with the added element, you've got two other riders there to try and steer around and yeah. you know, keep your focus too. And you know, like, like I said earlier, people often get distracted because you always have that one person that goes, do you know, I can't actually remember this test. Is it track right or track left? And you're like, it's, it's track right. Definitely, I think it's track right. But because they've questioned you, it then completely takes you out, yeah. of, out of your, your almost flow state, if you like. And actually, it's trying to make sure that you can stay within your bubble. Mm -hmm. you, you're aware of things, and you know, the, the outside pressures don't put pressure on your bubble. That's yeah. what we're trying to look at here. 
and it, in theory, it's uh, it's going to be in a controlled environment so that people actually, if they if they can't cope, we can say that's fine. This is how we are going to cope. Yeah. Uh, so it should be a nice experience. Yeah, a really good stepping stone. <laughs> yeah. Because I know from my experience, the warm up room can be quite intimidating. Yeah. There can be a lot of people. There can be a lot going on. There's a combination of people that can't control their horses. And yeah. <laughs> definitely. People that are panicking and. It can be unscheduled chaos, <laughs> is what warm-up can be. And I think that's the thing, it's, it's actually focusing on controlling the controllables. Yeah. That is all you can do in that situation. You can't control the horse that's just galloped across the arena with somebody that's hanging on for dear life. And it's not their fault. It, yeah. you know, it has just <laughs> happened and it's a hazard of the animal. Um, but what you can control is how you deal with it. And that comes back to having that confidence in your belief in the ability to emotionally control yourself in that situation. Yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully by designing a warm-up plan, that gives you the focus to go, okay, and that's a perfect example of when your three words come in. Because you go, okay, what am I missing right now in this moment? Okay, it's the rhythm. Let's get on to some circles, spiraling in, spiraling out, some squares, whatever, whatever works for you. Yeah. Let's get on to that and get that really good. And it, you know, another good thing is scoring out of 10 and say, you know, how is my rhythm now? How is my trot now? Well, it's like a 7 on, on my scale, not a judge's scale. So I think, actually, I need it to be an 8 for it to be acceptable on my scale. What do I need to do to do that? And it straight away the focus is back on you and that yeah. thought process has already gone, okay, yeah, it doesn't even know about the horse that's going to cross that. <laughs> and, and that's the important bit. And, and I think actually it is keeping your focus and controlling yeah. the controllables. And certainly controlling thoughts. If you're in a warm-up arena, panicking about your test. Yes. That's a very different mindset to if you're in a warm-up arena, working out whether you've got what you need to do yeah. your test. Absolutely. And those two minds will do very different things when they go into the, yes. the test arena. <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> Amazing. So if people wanted to find out more about you, how can they find you on social media? Um, so I've got a Facebook page, which is just Amy Blank Dressage. And I've got Instagram, which is also Amy Blank Dressage. And I've got a website, which is www.amyblankdressage.co.uk. Perfect. And people can find out more about your clinics and unmounted sessions on there. Yes. So if they, I advertise all my clinics on social media, but actually if you go onto the website, I have an app which is linked to the website and you can book onto clinics and book lessons through the app. And Perfect. also keep up to any uh, update, uh, up to date with anything that's going on. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking about this. It's been absolutely fascinating. Okay. I know we have all sorts of weird conversations when we have lessons. <laughs> Lots of. <laughs> when a therapist and a performance coach get together, this is fascinating conversation. So thank you very much for joining us this week. No, that's great. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anxiety to Confidence podcast. You can find more information and my extensive blog at www.anxietytoconfidence.com. That's the number two, anxietytoconfidence.com.